Listening to Condé Nast Traveler's podcast, Women Who Travel, you will be transported to the ancient ruins of Pompeii, to New York City's most storied neighborhoods, and to the jaw-dropping peaks of Bhutan. It's the best of what you love about traveling, experiencing different people, cultures, and perspectives, all from the comfort of your own home. Each week, join host and global journalist Lali Alikoglu as she shares her own experiences along with those of self-identifying women travelers from all over the globe. How do the bestie comedian pairs of Sheer Zamata and Nicole Byer navigate travel together? What can you realistically expect from your first global solo travel experience? How is dance used as a tool for healing in Indigenous Australian communities? If these questions piqued your interest, pack your bags and go on a journey with women who travel. Available wherever you get your podcasts. It's funny because my job as a music producer or an A&R executive is to go out and find the best material, songs, songwriters, producers, and the best upcoming artists and bring them together and then wool them into success. The job is entirely predicated upon finding things that aren't yet in their fully realized form and bringing them into existence. I'm literally in the business of manifesting, I suppose discovering, and unearthing, and again, manifesting. Behind every great artist, there are all sorts of people whose own dedication and creativity enable the stars to be the stars. Larry Jackson is one of those people. From his start in the music industry at the age of 11, to his current role as Global Creative Director at Apple Music, There aren't many people who know more about how great music is made than Larry. In this series, we blend immersive first-person stories with mindfulness prompts to help you restore yourself at any time of the day. I'm Rohan, and I'll be your guide on this episode of Meditative Story. From time to time, we'll pause the story ever so briefly for me to come in with guidance to enhance your experience as you listen. I hope these prompts will be helpful to you. And, let's take a moment now to settle in before we hear from Larry. Letting whatever thoughts and feelings are around, be around. Letting them be here. The body relaxed, the body breathing, your senses open, your mind open, meeting the world. I'm sitting in a cramped hole-in-the-wall recording studio in Tampa. I await the arrival of a vocal powerhouse. She's coming in to record a new song for her upcoming album. I've spent a large part of my professional life in state-of-the-art recording studios in Los Angeles, New York, London, Johannesburg, Paris. But our location today is pretty nondescript from the outside, and frankly isn't much better when you get inside its control room. I've arrived early. An hour and a half later, in walks Jennifer Hudson. And she's not alone. Two young Pomeranians are with her. I met one of them before. His name is Oscar. But 
The other one, who I don't recognize at all, is new. Jennifer introduces me to her second dog, which she's named Grammy. The pun and deliberacy have gone completely over my head. I ask her with clueless naivete why she's chosen those two particular names, Oscar and Grammy. Very matter-of-factly, she says, Well, I won an Oscar already, and now we about to win a Grammy, ain't we? I feel my brow begin to sweat. My body stiffens, and I laugh uncontrollably at what's being implied. The studio starts to feel even smaller and shabbier than it is. You see, I'm her producer. I signed Jennifer Hudson earlier that year. I'm 27, the stakes are high, and the pressure is palpable. Jennifer's recording contract had been signed not long after she captured the country's heart as a standout contestant on American Idol, and right before she won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress in the blockbuster movie Dreamgirls. In my career, I've had the great fortune to work with so many incredible artists, ranging from Whitney Houston to Chicago rapper Chief Keef to the national treasure Aretha Franklin, and so many more. I've forged trusting relationships with the best songwriters in the business as well. So, when I started working with Jennifer, I think, okay, no problem. She's got a remarkably unique vocal prowess and power, so the potential for a hit album is easy to visualize for me. Between her insane talent, the momentum around Dreamgirls, and my relationships with the creative community, it feels like this should crystallize quickly. But between that initial optimism and this moment in Tampa, it's almost been a year and a half of toil and sporadic fruitfulness. Jennifer and I have traveled to London to record with Timbaland. We've spent time in Los Angeles, Atlanta, a few other cities trying to decode this creative Rubik's Cube. Yet we still don't have a first single to unlock the debut album's potential. Though I'll never admit it, it feels like it's a languishing process with no foreseeable end in sight. It feels like we have decent stuff, but in many ways are nowhere. Well, actually in this tiny studio in Tampa, with me, Jennifer, and a yappy Pomeranian who she had the bold confidence to name Grammy. We don't leave that Florida recording session with our first single, but instead I have a feeling of a heightened sense of pressure to finish this album and not leave Oscar as the only one of those dogs who's lived up to its name. In the meantime, though, a story had just come out in the press that her debut album had been scrapped by Clive Davis over creative differences in terms of its direction. While the story was a bit of an exaggeration, the struggle that I was experiencing was a very real and arduous challenge. I was feeling the heat and feeling quite daunted. While in London two weeks later, I'm at the Dorchester Hotel, struggling deeply with jet lag at 4 a.m., and decide to catch up on some overdue demo listening. At the top of the stack is the proposed demo for Jennifer's song titled Spotlight, written by Neo. I generally pride myself on being a one-listen creative executive. I feel if a song has hit potential after hearing the first verse and the first chorus, after countless days and nights of endlessly listening for needles and haystacks, I've honed this intuitive skill to a soulful science. And immediately when I hear this one, I know we have it. The track has the same bark as Aretha's classic respect and the same bite as her anthemic thank. 
nailed it. I listen to the demo nonstop till the sun comes up. I can't believe it. This is finally our first single. Can you picture the scene? Can you feel the energy and excitement that Larry's feeling in this moment? Feel the sensation of finally finding what you've been looking for. And just like that, I somehow got all the colors to line up on a creative Rubik's Cube. I see it clearly. It unlocks everything. It unlocks the power of the album. Unlocks my waning confidence. Unlocks the future path of the project. Fast forward to September of that year. The song becomes the number one R&B single in the U.S. February rolls around, and it's the 2009 Grammy Awards. No less than a year after my first amusing encounter with Grammy. The moody, mercurial Pomeranian. We arrive late, but right on time. Within moments of taking our seats, Whitney Houston comes out to present the Grammy Award for the year's best R&B album. It's been a great year in this genre, and the competition is stiff and tough to say the least. I'm 28 years old, and it's the first time I've ever been on the floor at the Grammys, where all the decorated nominees are also seated. As it relates to best album categories, if you serve as album producer for the project, you win an award alongside the artist. So, as album co-producers, Clive Davis and I stand to take one home respectively that night as well. I'm excited, yet nervous. Whitney opens up the envelope and announces the winner. It's Jennifer. Can't believe it. As I stand to applaud Jennifer as she takes the stage to accept the award, all I can seemingly think about at that moment is Grammy the Pomeranian. She was right. It's a celebratory night. The next morning, it all hits me. What an important moment it is for me personally. Can you recall an event in your life where you received some good news about a hard-won accomplishment? Can you remember what the space you were in at the time was like? Go there. My childhood helps me understand why the creative journey with Jennifer is one of my life's turning points. At 10 years old, I was really obsessed with pop culture and our local radio station in San Francisco, 106 KML. I used my family's black touchtone phone in the kitchen to call radio contests all the time. Didn't really have any fancy features, no redial, no frills, nothing like that. And I was always punching in the numbers as fast as I could with my nimble little fingers as I attempted to the color of 10 or color 106 or whatever number was required to win. 
I'd push the buttons as fast as I could. And if I heard a busy signal, I'd hang up and start punching those numbers over and over again. I became so fast, though, and so proficient, so good at winning these contests, that they finally said, kid, you can't win anymore. But we'd love to have you down on the station sometime soon for a tour and a hang. That moment afforded me a unique opportunity to put my foot in the door. And slowly but surely, I became a fixture there. At age 11, my dad bought me my first two turntables and a microphone from Radio Shack. I amusingly created my first DJ booth in my bedroom. Practice, practice, practice. The next two years, I was an apprentice at the radio station and practicing at home in my off time. At 14, I'm a full-time intern now, and a board op at KML, which, by the way, is market number four in the entire country. By 16, I'm hired as a music director of the station, which by that time had fallen to eighth place in the market. By age 17, I'm expelled from high school because I'm spread too thin across academics and work. At age 19, we triumphantly take the station back to its number one ratings position in the market. And then I get a call. The call is from legendary music impresario Clive Davis. If I had to explain it, on the Mount Rushmore of the music business, Clive Davis has got to be something like George Washington, a legendary New York-based record producer and executive who signed countless artists ranging from Whitney Houston to Aerosmith to Alicia Keys to Bruce Springsteen and Notorious B.I.G. Clive says... I hear you've got some of the best ears in radio. How about coming to New York for an interview, starting a new record label, and I think you'd be a great fit. That phone call single-handedly changes my life. From an early age, I've always made a lot of things happen for myself. But before I met Jennifer Hudson, and of course Grammy the Pomeranian, I'd always been overly superstitious. I often thought, if I didn't think something would happen, that it probably would happen. But I had it dead wrong. Jennifer showed me that the best way to make things happen is to believe that they will so much that you're willing to name your tiny little dog after them to see them through. It's funny because my job as a music producer or an A&R executive is to go out and find the best material, songs, songwriters, producers, and the best upcoming artists and bring them together and then wool them into success. The job is entirely predicated upon finding things that aren't yet in their fully realized form and bringing them into existence. I'm literally in the business of manifesting, I suppose, discovering and unearthing, and again, manifesting. Creative geniuses I work with show me the power of believing. They visualize and then they make it so. Even though I never went to college, I somehow beat the statistics for African-American men who don't and willed a life of pursuing my passion based on knowing that I'm supposed to be here, that I belong. All someone had to do was pass me the ball, or rather, all I had to do was get on the court and fight tenaciously for it. Manifestation wasn't how I would have described it in my teens, but it's clearly what it is. Seeing it blossom powerfully through the lens of another helped me understand how to better harness that power. All my life, I have been trying to visualize the future with my eyes closed. I only use my ears. 
Speak what you seek until you see what you say. That's the creed. That's the mantra. And that's the belief. We've reached the end of Larry's story. In just a moment, I'll guide you through a closing meditation. While the idea of visualising future events in order to support their coming about is not so much a part of the mindfulness tradition, there is a related idea, manifesting qualities. No matter how you approach meditation, a good way of understanding what it's all about is that it's about growing qualities. Qualities of mind and qualities of heart. Concentration, kindness, self-awareness, balance in times of difficulty and challenge. They're all qualities we can manifest in ourselves. And the best way to do that is not to imagine them in our future, but to actually realise them in our present. So, if you dream of being an amazing, kind, compassionate person, but that feels far away, the way to get there is by being kind now, in whatever way you can. If being calm under pressure or not being pushed around by your own negative thinking is the future you want to manifest, then see what you can do to be like that now. Steadiness, joy, sensitivity, presence with others. These are natural qualities we all have. And if we want to build them up, all we need to do is practice them. To work on those muscles. To reinforce those neural pathways. It's not magic, it's training. And we can do some now if you like. Letting your body be however it is. Encouraging relaxation. Relaxing any tension in your face, your hands, your belly. Letting your mind be however it is. Encouraging letting go. Watching any thoughts and ideas come up and drift away. No real need to get tangled up in them or give them any solidity. Breathing. Breathing. And let's start with calm. We may tell ourselves the story that we're not calm at all. That our minds are all over the place, flitting from one thing to another. Let go of any stories like that for now, and let's manifest calm. The calmest, most balanced person in the world is only ever just calm in the moment. So let's be that person and be calm in this moment. Letting your awareness drop into the sensations where your body contacts the ground. Simple, steady. The breath long and steady. Watching any thoughts that come up on the screen of the mind. Watching them, knowing them, but not getting caught up in them. Manifesting calm. Manifesting calm by being calm. 
Now let's try sensitivity, the quality of moving through life with subtlety and depth. The most sensitive person is sensitive now, so let's be that person. Starting by switching through our senses, noticing what's most obvious through each of our sense doors. Noticing the physical sense, what's most prominent. Noticing sight, any objects which come to your attention. Noticing hearing, sounds that arise and sounds that fall away. Noticing taste and smell, if there's anything here, or if it's quite neutral. Noticing thinking, watching thoughts and leaving them alone. Another aspect of sensitivity is subtlety. So as before, asking yourself the question, what is the furthest sound you can hear right now? Letting your mind be open and subtle and sensitive. We all have these qualities within us. We just have to manifest them to make them real. But ultimately, you just have to be that person, moment by moment, starting now. On behalf of the team at Meditative Story, thank you for spending time with us today. We love creating the show for you. And if the show serves you in a meaningful way, we'd love to hear from you. Would you take a minute right now to write us a review in your podcast app? When you leave a review, it really inspires our team. And we're a group who derives so much energy from understanding how Meditative Story impacts you. It's also a way for you to pay it forward by helping others discover the show. So if leaving a review speaks to you today, we'd really appreciate it. Meditative Story is a Wait What original in partnership with Thrive Global. The show is produced at the studio inside SY Partners in New York. Our executive producers are Darren Triff, June Cohen, Ariana Huffington, and Dan Katz. Our producer is Sabrina Fahi. Our supervising producer is Jai Punjabi. Our curator is Carrie Goldstein. Original music and sound design is by the Holiday Brothers. Mixing and mastering by Brian Pugh. Special thanks to Anne Sachs, Juliana Stone, Summer Matice, Monica Lee, Madison Odenborg, Lindsay Benoit O'Connell, Libby Duke, Smriti Sinha, and Sarah Sandman. And I'm Rohan Gunatilaka, creator of the Buddhify Meditation app and your host. Visit meditativestory.com to find the transcript for this episode. On the next episode of Meditative Story...
Everything about you has been here for the entirety of time. And everything that you are will utterly vanish in the blink of an eye. This is what you are. There is nothing to do about it. To be so significant and yet so insignificant all at once is the essence and the balance of what it means to be alive.